the promise of real estate investing? You've probably seen the ads and can imagine it now. Long, lazy days on a beach in the Caribbean, snorkeling today, reading your favorite book again tomorrow. All possible with real estate properties that pay you tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars for doing nothing. Meanwhile, there's the reality of real estate ownership, which is phone calls with property managers, printing, filling out, scanning and mailing documents back to the bank and your legal team, entering expenses into spreadsheets and accounting software, overseeing or potentially doing renovations, negotiating insurance, and managing a team. I know, I know, I sound like a real giant Debbie Downer. But while I am an eternal optimist and always will be, I also believe in reality, in knowing it and making aligned decisions, knowing the truth. The truth here? The truth is that not all real estate investing is passive. In fact, a lot of it isn't, especially when we're talking about ownership. Today, I'm joined by my husband and business partner, Troy Michaud, to talk about the realities of real estate investing. Before we go too far, I've got to read this official disclaimer here, so just bear with me. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make and consider any investment or course of action for more information. What you hear today is not financial advice. We're not licensed financial advisors, lawyers, mortgage brokers, or real estate professionals. This is not a substitute for professional legal, real estate, or financial advice. And in a platform like this, where we speak to many individuals, each with your own journey and circumstances, it's very important to get personalized advice. I encourage you to build a trusted team of professionals and consult with them to help support you in your personal situation and your individual goals. All right, that's out of the way, so let's get into the meat of this episode. Today, you're going to learn about the myth of passive real estate investing ownership. You're going to learn about our real estate investing strategy and why it's not passive and why we do it anyways. You're going to hear about what our day-to-day and week-to-week workload looks like as real estate investors. You're going to hear what are some of the things that we do to keep our investing as passive as possible and what are the pieces of work that we are still doing to this day, uh, even though we still have jobs and families and all those things. You're also going to hear a couple of principles and tips to keep in mind as you build your portfolio that will help you to keep it successful and as passive as possible. All right, my friend, listen in. Here's the real talk of real estate investing as we bust bust that myth of passive and tell you the good, the bad, and mostly just the truth. Welcome to the Golden Girls Podcast, where we believe you can have it all. I'm your host, Lisa Michaud, and I'm spilling tangible tips, goal-getting strategies, and real-life stories to inspire you to tackle your biggest dreams. You're a woman who knows you're made for more. Get ready to leave the excuses and self-doubt behind by being vulnerable, sharing your truth, and having honest conversations so you can succeed on your terms. Together, we'll set goals you'll actually achieve by staying motivated, having fun, and building a community of women empowering women. It's time to tap into your best self, get confident, and truly have it all. Golden Girl, let's dive in. Hello, Golden Girls, and welcome to another episode about real estate. By popular demand, I've brought back my husband, Troy Michaud. Troy, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. I am feeling a little bit sick, as you can probably hear. My nose is still stuffed up, and I'm still coughing, so I'm going to do my best to get through this. And... Honestly, I'm just going to ask you some questions because you're not sick, so you could do a little more talking today. All right. <laughs> um, so we wanted to ha- do this episode for a couple reasons. We've obviously been doing real estate for 12 years now and have a lot of conversations with people, especially lately in our courses and our networking events. And we see a lot of people have been sold this dream of passive income through real estate. And we see a lot of people that have invested money in real estate, in real estate courses, And then they find out it's a lot of work, a lot of time, and it's not necessarily what they had in mind for a quote passive investment or that they maybe don't even have time for it because they're entrepreneurs or they have young kids or demanding jobs or flat out they just want to travel and want something more passive. Um, And so, you know, you and I, we've talked to people that start to grow their portfolio and then they get really overwhelmed with the work and end up having to, you know, either fire sale properties at reduced prices or just end up kind of stuck. So that's why we really wanted to have this real talk about about how much work it actually is to be an investor in real estate. And we're talking about our business model, which is 100% ownership, long-term holds in real estate, at least right now. And obviously there's lots of strategies out there. Um, Today we're talking about ownership and specifically the Burr strategy, which is what we do. 
I think you'll agree with me, Troy, that real estate investing is very much a spectrum. You can be really hands-off, for example, investing in like our real estate income trust or REIT, or as we talked about on uh, episode 71 with Marinella, um, you can be a private lender, or you can be super, super hands-on, which is, you know, ownership all the way down to doing your own renovations and doing your own flips, uh, and even hosting and managing your Airbnb all by yourself. But we're kind of somewhere maybe in the middle of that, and we do the birth strategy. So can you give a little bit of an overview of our business and the birth strategy? Sure. So... As you mentioned, uh, we we use the birth strategy, which is buy, renovate, rent, refinance, and repeat. So, essentially, look for underutilized or not not maximized properties in terms of rents and perhaps maintenance as well. So, find find these properties that are a little distressed, turn them around. Sometimes over a shorter period of time, sometimes longer, maybe a year or two, and then get them rented at market rates, get the tenant profile cleaned up sometimes, and then take it to the bank and refinance it so that we can repeat, do, uh, do it again on another building. So why is that not passive? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot to, to do in there. Uh, buying, well, well, I guess maybe even start with finding these properties. So uh, you'll, you'll have to look on market and off market for properties. Um, it's not just as simple as popping into realtor.ca or realtor.com and saying, I want a distressed property multifamily in this neighborhood for this amount. I mean, it, it does take some networking and, and research and, you know, knowing different streets and different areas and what to look for. So a lot of work just in sourcing it. And then once you actually get it under contract, the work really just begins where you have to get your insurance, your uh, financing lined up, whether it's conventional, you know, and a lot of times, a lot of these buildings are not conventionally financed. So you're looking at private lenders or different strategies to be able to, to close it fund it uh, and then then again the work really begins once you take it take possession of it because now you have a building perhaps it's vacant perhaps you just have some bad tenants so, uh, there's probably a deferred maintenance there's lots to consider so again the work begins and then you're fu funding the the, ref the renovations rather on it uh, holding it until such time as you can refinance it and you know get it appraised change up your insurance because now maybe you have occupied versus a non-occupied building there's just so many things that happen along the way that you know I'm, I'm rattling all this stuff off and i'm missing stuff and i'm certainly not going into depth uh about what needs to be done but there's a lot of management along the way to make this eventually hopefully a passive uh, income property however we still have sort of stabilized properties that have reached the final r of the burr but every year we you know you still need to renew your insurance and there can be huge rate hikes on insurance policies year to year even with very little change in your coverage and we've you know for example we're doing this right now on one of our our properties we've been with an insurance company for seven years i think with them and we just got a quote that was probably 40 percent less for better coverage uh with a different company now that's taken days i would say of back and forth with insurance brokers getting all the stuff you need from your existing insurer who doesn't necessarily like to give it up because they sense that something is coming uh, that they're 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 about to miss out on your business so they're less than cooperative and uh, anyway yeah so it, it's i don't know that it ever truly becomes completely passive unless you're willing to you know pay more for someone to completely manage it for you or to just kind of forego some of those savings whether it be in insurance or utilities is another one um, management of the building where maybe you're installing low flow water devices to 
to offset or, or reduce rather your utility expenses like there can always be something that needs to happen and maybe you'll have one property that's quiet for a couple of years and then then something else comes up right so i think there's in this business model it's certainly not passive even when it is yeah i mean we've talked a little bit about and i want to expand a bit on some of the misconceptions that we hear because if you look at like ads or listen to certain podcasts or look at influencers, like real estate influencers, I mean, there's a lot of it about how passive it is, but I think a lot of it is kind of misconceptions. Like you were just talking to someone the other day on the phone who was hoping to buy four doors and be able to replace their full like professional salary. And maybe that's possible in some situations, but I wouldn't say it's what we're seeing in the market these days generally. No, uh, if you can burr it, a burr property, you can usually end up with higher cash flow because you've added value to the to the building. Um, if you're buying turnkey properties, you're probably not getting much, if any, cash flow. I would say, uh, and you're yeah, you're you're not doing the work, but you're also not really getting the cash flow, so it's tough to replace like you said a professional income with uh, a four unit building i guess unless your income is very very low or it's huge like a very like luxury or some sort of yeah like it would, it would require a huge investment of capital up front yeah and there is some strategies like uh, i've seen duplex conversions from single family houses that some people have been able to make good cash flow uh a month on it uh however you kind of run into like financing uh limitations in my experience where you can only qualify for so many residential loans and a lot of those models don't really support a commercial loan so i i think there's kind of a, a finite runway on some of those other strategies unless you start joint venturing or, or things of that nature i just had this feeling like we're standing or sitting here like mama and papa real estate having a hard conversation and being like look the reality is like you either need to put in the work or you have to have the capital to make it truly truly passive and then you may not be able to make that much income like i almost feel like we're mama and papa trying to have a tough give some tough love here well, I think it's just open your eyes to the reality of the situation that, and don't be discouraged if you want to invest and it's something that you're really passionate about and something that you enjoy, like I do, but um, it's, it's, it's still work. I mean, even bookkeeping, right? Like, <laughs> I thought you loved that. No, no. Uh, I think we've even mentioned that on previous uh, episodes that, uh, you know, keeping their books straight and, and we've tried to outsource it a bit but there's you know some limitations with what you can do uh and again unless you're paying for it right and we have had a year or two where we spent thousands of dollars on bookkeeping and i didn't really see the value in it because we still ended up having to speak to a lot of the expenses and change them and enter them you know accordingly so it there you you still have to be a part of it right only you knew what that one strange looking transaction was or or how you you know borrowed money from a share shareholder loan situation into your corporation things like that you know that are yeah you still have to manually input some of this stuff so i guess at our level anyways we're 64 units now is that right Thereabouts, yeah. Like you haven't bought anything without telling me, have you? Or uh, I try not to. <laughs> try not to. There might be some offers out there. Uh, so you know, I mean, obviously, if you get to six hundred and forty units, you have to outsource more of this stuff, right? But I do think that um, th that's actually one of the things I did want to touch on is this this trade off. I guess I think we you do have to really understand like that trade off of like the more work you do, the more money you'll probably be able to keep in your business and vice versa. The more that you outsource, the less money that you're going to keep. And I think I just want to quickly make one more discernment here that I think fully passive income in like doesn't exist anywhere. But what I think real estate allows you to do is generally disconnect trading time for money in a direct sense, but it doesn't mean it's passive. And it's not like an exact number. So there's been some things that we do outsource consistently and have outsourced from the beginning 
And there's things like bookkeeping that 12 years later we're still doing. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Like I, I think about, um, you know, you and I, when we first started, we kind of joked that we were accidental landlords, but we were, I think one thing we did do right is we were s- smart about realizing we didn't want to just buy ourselves another job. Like now we've maybe almost done that, but, um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> we have bigger goals though. Now different goals so back then we didn't really know what we were doing. And now, yeah, we have, we have a mission. We have some big ambitions and things to do. Um, but yeah, anyways, what I wanted to say about that is that one of the things that we were very intentional from the beginning is we don't want to be property managing. And so every single deal we've ever looked at, we've always had to factor in property management costs. And that means that there's a lot of deals we probably say no to that other people who are self-managing might say yes to. But we did this because we knew that there'd be a ceiling where one day we'd no longer be able to do the management. We'd have to outsource it anyways. So we may as well buy the properties where that's already factored in. Yeah. And to go back to what you said about economies of scale, like our very first two rental units, we did um, self-manage, right? And then after that, it again, we, we've said, well, this, I've had enough of this. Let's let someone else do it. <coughs> and to your point, yeah, when you get to 10 times the units of what we have now, if should we do that, there's no way that w- either of us would be doing the bookkeeping you know, you'd have a financial controller, but until then, it's it's not necessarily cost efficient for us to hire that uh, financial controller. And uh, there's probably other tasks that you can hire out long before you, you get to that point. So, yeah, I guess keep that in mind. If you're buying a duplex, maybe you're managing it, maybe you're not, and but probably your bookkeeping, probably your you know dealing with all of the transactions that have to happen. Uh, around that Insurance property. brokers and financials and all those things. Yeah. Yep. So what are some, what trade-offs do you see or what are some of the general principles you think we follow to try and make it slightly more passive or how we, how we balance those things? Automation, I think is a big one. Like I still talk to people that do their, their books in Excel spreadsheet. I just talked to one the other day and, and she was not a inexperienced investor by any means, but she was literally doing her, books in Excel. And I, I kind of said, Hey, are you interested in a program for this? And she, she was currently looking at it, but, um, yeah, it, you can set up recurring transactions to automatically just kind of be accepted and it codes them correctly in QuickBooks or zero is another one. I think very similar, uh, even just like pulling in the information, it'll automatically pull it from your bank accounts you can have them linked right into the program and it saves time because you you know maybe one or two clicks you can process a transaction and if you do it frequently enough lisa that uh, it's easy to remember what the transaction was for so if you did it on a monthly basis you might only have to spend an hour or maybe less kind of doing it depending on how many transactions you have of course I feel like you secretly love bookkeeping and I don't know if anybody picked up on that dig there that I definitely do not do bookkeeping on a regular basis. Point taken, my dear point taken. I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, yeah, QuickBooks, it is game changer. Uh, I think we also have an affiliate code, uh, for some sort of a discount. So I'll drop that in the show notes as well, because QuickBooks, uh, we definitely started with like one account. Now I think we've got three for all the different companies. Yes. (laughs) Excuse me, but we do, it does, I think make a big difference and does help. Um, yeah, I think also in terms of, you know, that's pretty specific, but I think like zooming out a little bit in terms of like a principle, I think, you know, we've talked about this, your profitability declines as your passivity increases. Yep. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Like property management is, is that what you're referring to? Just generally like the more work you do or the less work you do. Yeah. The less money you make. Definitely. I mean, property management was one we offloaded early and that's, that's a huge part of it. I think sourcing tenants, doing background checks, even just knowing tenants, you know, good property managers who have been doing it a while, just know that, oh yeah, I've had that tenant before and I will not rent to them ever again, you know, because of disturbances or damage or whatever. But, you know, if you, you don't have to do that, if you can pay someone to do it for you, you don't get a call 
uh, you know, that a toilet needed to be snaked. You don't get a call that, which it's funny because you talk to some people and they're like, I've never heard of a tenant calling with a toilet plugging and I'll get a statement, uh, you know, say that represents 25 doors uh, for a month. And I might have like two or three call outs, some of them even like after hours calls for, uh, you know, snaking a toilet. So it is a real thing, people, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so we, we've outsourced, outsourced that task and it really unlocks a lot of time for you that you're not trying to call the plumber, trying to call the gas fitter, trying to call, uh, an electrician or, or even just a handyman or, a carpenter to, to fix little things. If you have a property manager that has a team on staff and not necessarily all trades, like, you know, you don't necessarily need a plumber or an electrician to be a part of the property management staff, but if they have a kind of handyman carpenter on staff that can just run over and, and fix the, the door, right? Like that main entry door, maybe to your building is not latching and it's a security issue or you're blowing heat outside in the wintertime. Well, they can just rip over there as soon as the tenant calls it in and, and have a look at it versus calling you, then you got to find someone who's capable and willing. And, you know, again, you can, there's people that have those handy people on uh, speed dial and they call them up and me, I just get a bill at the end of the month. It's a statement rather that shows, ah, this individual went over and fixed the door and it cost me 28 bucks for his time. So, um, yeah, I, I think offloading those property management, property management is, is one of the biggest ones for us. And, uh, I can't really think of any other major having a VA, I guess is helpful in yeah. <laughs> many areas of our business, but, um, Okay, here's kind of some different ones, or a different one, like wholesalers. Yeah. I mean, that's a way of outsourcing it too, right? Like Definitely. Yeah, that means that you, you spoke about all the things about procuring a deal. That takes a lot of work. Yeah. And, I mean, there's, there's also, we'll have to do a future episode on, like, being remote landlords or uh, and kind of what that looks like, but we cannot you know drive up to people and say, hey, do you want to sell this building? Or we don't necessarily have the same local connections as somebody would. The same thing with you know, if we got calls for toilets to be an expensive flight to go and snake it. So some things are just not practical. Um, but talk about wholesaling, like how how do you see that helping and how does that how does that all work? So wholesalers basically go out and find properties, whether they're distressed or not, but find sellers who are looking to sell off market for whatever reason they may have. Um, and then they get it under contract and then they will assign the contract to you for a fee. So usually there's a wholesale fee that is not usually there's a wholesale fee that's uh, included uh, on top of the purchase price and you're essentially paying them for their marketing and their time to source and, and get, get these deals. And so, we've done that before. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another thing that kind of a different way of outsourcing, making it slightly more quote passive. Um, but yeah, I think the vast majority of the deals you've sourced them, not them. but I guess it's another way you could make it more passive. Yeah. I think we've only bought one wholesale deal, but yeah, just one, I think so far too. Trying to do, I we, I didn't think about that ahead of time to talk about that, but it came up. I'm like, this is like that's such a good example too. Um, you know, we talk about so he's outsource property management, outsource well, make bookkeeping simpler. Um, but then we also like it's it's all balancing, right? Because then we also buy, I don't want to say like headache buildings, but we buy buildings that are unstable, buildings that are a lot of work. So I feel like that's a very intentional trade off that we've made there. We don't do the toilets. We do the whole bathroom. We renovate the whole thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Like, what does that mean? You know, what does it look like? Why are we, why are we buying crappy, not crappy, under-maintained building or buildings with opportunities or, and how does that make sense for our business? Well, we try and force the appreciation of the building. So doing strategic renovations, like uh, you said, managing tenants, getting less desirable tenants out perhaps um, and just making the building safer and more desirable for other tenants to live in right like we we've kept tenants in 
a building that we've owned for you know two almost three years now that are paying significantly under market rents we could have either evicted them or um, increased their rents long ago but they're they pay their rent on time um, you know they have had some modest increases but they it's still affordable for them to stay there and their units would have to be renovated once they left so you know for now we're just keeping them there but the profile of the entire building has increased significantly we've evicted i think at least one drug dealer from that building um we've just made it more habitable and made it a place where people want to go and not a place where they it was their only option perhaps before so it's warm dry comfortable you know freshly renovated and uh yeah a nice uh nice building now you're doing a great job selling them <laughs> but it's a lot of i guess what i wanted to say was that it's a lot of work to get at that point yeah you don't buy them in that state and that's the difference between a turnkey versus what we're doing yeah and we've made that strategic decision that we're going to outsource property management once in a while do a wholesale deal where we can outsource some of the buying um but a lot of the work comes in in terms of finding the right deal and managing the renovations and there's a lot of, that goes into that even though you're not physically doing the renovations a lot of work goes into making sure we know what's going on with it right yeah and just getting approvals for the contractors to kind of do the larger chunks of work making sure that that's kind of staying on track managing the managers essentially and uh, and that's yeah how we've i mean we've probably tripled or quadrupled the the i don't want to say price of the buildings we haven't sold it but the <laughs> value of the building uh from what we've purchased it from uh to, till today and and with a uh, fair bit of renovation, but not <laughs> definitely not uh, not even not even one times the original purchase price. Uh, you know what I mean? Break that down a little bit better. Well, okay. So, like, if we if we bought it for and we did buy for two hundred and forty two thousand, I think we ended up putting maybe around a hundred and thirty thousand into it. Uh, so we're into it for say 370 it's probably worth i would guess a million a million two maybe somewhere in that neighborhood um so that's kind of what we've been able to achieve i guess with adding value to some of these buildings it, it took a lot of work and it took a year to kind of get it all turned over and get all the the units brushed up but uh yeah, now it's now it's good. That was also like the crown jewel. Not every single deal is that. That uh... no, that one wasn't. But I mean, so another one we just did. Uh, we bought it when everyone said there was no deals in you know kind of this. I think it was October of twenty twenty one. We purchased it. It was three units, so it's not even like a massive building. Um, we paid a hundred and seventeen thousand for it. Uh, we put, I think it was around fifty thousand into it, and now it's worth. Jeez, uh, I forget the appraisal. I just got it back recently, but I think it was around two hundred and sixty or two hundred seventy thousand. So you know, even if we're into it for a hundred and sixty-seven, let's call it. So there's a hundred thousand dollars in kind of forced appreciation right there. So it's you know it's it's still still possible, I guess, and and it's not it's not like a million dollar building either, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like we're getting into deal talk, which is like I feel like a whole other episode. But it's interesting to hear, and this is I think the question that all everyone has to determine when they're investing is like. What are obviously goals? First of all, what are you trying to get out of it? And then also balancing, you know, what, what strategy is going to meet that? And then how much time and capacity do you have? And where are your skills and where's your interest? And how can you match all of that up? And I feel like Burr's been a good, good mishmash for us on that. Well, I guess another part of um, passive 
or, or what, what what have I done to make it more passive and, and to offload uh, work is say that deal I just spoke about where we put 50,000 in renovations in. I haven't added it up, but I would guess we're probably in the $10,000 of that $50,000 was used or was, was uh, spent for the GC, for the general contractor who oversaw essentially all of the renovations. So I interfaced with them to make sure that work was happening and on track and that sort of thing. But as far as managing which electrician came in when and which plumber came in and which drywaller and painter, no idea, uh, you know. So we paid for that, uh, that passiveness because at the same time we had probably four or five other projects on the go in the last year or so. This is, yeah. So it's almost sounding like we outsource almost everything, you know, assistant, property manager, general contractor, the actual renovations. But I think that this is kind of where we wanted to have the conversation about that. Can, there can be a misconception that, okay, you're still not doing anything, but that's not the reality. So what is the reality of real estate investing? You think that most people don't know? I would say it's work. <laughs> that's that's the biggest one that's okay real estate dad <laughs> that it, it, it is right and it becomes more passive as you kind of get more into it and, and as a building is stabilized but but definitely it's uh yeah it's work what does your day-to-day week-to-week look like uh yeah because it's not just that like you buy it and then money rolls in you don't just buy a building insert money here get money out uh i would say Every day, if not every day, every other day that I review new deals coming in, you know, I have multiple sources from either wholesalers or, I mean, even just MLS or uh, work with work with realtors, yeah, who find stuff off market, or sometimes you get an advanced preview before it hits the market. Facebook groups. Facebook groups, yeah. So you're constantly on the prowl, looking for deals. And then, you know, underwriting one, or if you have a, a, a deal that you're going after, writing the offers, and then all the due diligence steps after that. If once you get an accepted offer, then it's making sure your contractor can run through it, um, getting your appraisal, getting your ins- inspection, which again kind of goes hand in hand with the contractor going through there, but. Um, all your legals, making sure your lawyer can support it, having an alternate if they can't, uh, getting your financing. That's a big hurdle. If you're, you know, if you're financing privately, you got to get the capital, get the structure set up with the lender. Or if you're doing it um, through a bank, then, you know, that's. <laughs> so, well, work. yeah, they want to know your whole life story. And on some of these commercial deals, you know, it can take me like a full day, day and a half to provide uh, a, fi- a complete financial picture uh, of all of our corporations. They always want to see, you know, in- income and expenses for individual properties held within each corporation, stuff that's held personally. You know, you're, they want to know everything, right? So, getting all that together. And of course, you could compile all this information and then three months later it's outdated and, or it rolls over to the next year and you got to get everything back together again for, for another deal. So, yeah, I would say it's, it's doing that. <laughs> and then uh, keeping an eye on the running business. So, checking in with property managers usually. Depends on what's happening, but you know the stabilized stuff. Sometimes once a month, uh, the non-stabilized stuff, the stuff that's in the midst of renovations, uh, just probably weekly. I would say I talk to property managers and and uh, our people doing construction and make sure that everything's on track, um, making sure that they <laughs> they are keeping my timelines in in mind. Uh, so sometimes there's you know they're pulled in other directions right they have other jobs they want to do for other customers so but you definitely try and keep us top of mind yeah yeah i think it's not always just pestering them either like sometimes even like realtors if i get an appraisal done uh my realtor that i work with i'll always kind of share appraised value with them just so that they can get a better sense of what 
appraisers looking at in the market helps them price you know things for their clients if they if they list stuff and also you know if they're putting out offers they can kind of know what appraisers are thinking and seeing at that point in time and then it gives you kind of some you know good rapport with them and they're willing to help you out too if you want if you need help evaluating a unit or sorry a uh, building they're they're more apt to uh, <laughs> to help you if you're helping them too right and so we have a list of tasks here but it doesn't include relationship management which is super important and networking yes networking is a big one and i try and do that more and more because uh, some of our best deals have come just through our network um you know even that's how we've met private lenders that's how we've met everyone really that's that's integral to our team right now is usually comes through some sort of referral so so you also on top of all of this have a full-time job yes you work like 90 hours a week at your job yes for two weeks and then come home and how much time are you still working on real estate uh yeah so i guess to preface what lisa just said i worked two weeks on uh usually about it probably averages out to 13 hours a day so yeah around 90 hours a week for two weeks and then i'm off for two weeks um usually i would say i work monday to friday six to eight hours a day for my two weeks off i would say like 35 to 40 hours a week and i probably do 10 to 20 depending on what's going on between investors networking creating win-wins, repayments. Well, you've been doing some of the repayments, which is great. Um, legal structures, liability policies, estate planning. Like they're so, as I'm reading this out, I'm like, why, why do we do this? <laughs> why are we doing this? Um, and I feel like if I'm thinking this, I'm sure there's somebody else listening to this, thinking this sounds really hard and potentially discouraging. So why do you do this? And what, is it about real estate that still makes it worth it for you and might maybe undiscourage somebody who's listening? It's fun for me. Like, I know you loved bookkeeping. Not bookkeeping, but just generally, you know, when I, what, this summer, for example, when, <laughs> she's rolling her eyes at me, but this summer, uh, for example, we were going to take the summer off and not purchase anything, just kind of get through our, uh, existing projects that we that we have on the go and enjoy the summer and enjoy life and have a bit of a break yes yes that's why but yes so what we weren't going to do was purchase anything and i did buy another oh yes two buildings i was gonna say one but yes two and <laughs> I'm, I'm over here flashing the two two signal i thought it was a peace sign but <laughs> um yeah and i think that over time, like when you do this enough and you've underwritten enough deals and you, you kind of get to know what's a good deal. And I actually even tried to talk myself out of buying uh, at least one of them. And <laughs> I, I'm so curious. I feel like I missed out on that conversation. Well, like, so when I was underwriting it, I looked at it and said, <coughs> okay, what if I had to pay like eight and a half or I think even maybe I want up to 10% interest rate on this property. Cause you know, this was in the middle of the bank of Canada hiking the prime rate. We're and, still in the middle of that, I think. Eh, hopefully we're at the tail end of it, but we were like in the midst of like three quarter point and then three weeks later, three quarters point and half a point or whatever it was. So I was like, Oh man, what if rates like really go up? So I think I put in like eight and a half and I looked at it and said, ah, I actually still, makes sense to buy this and i was like but 10 it won't okay no no it makes sense at 10 so i was i was sort of i felt like i was obligated to buy it um so and then we've worked with our uh awesome mortgage broker who got us financing for it so it was kind of quick and painless um but i so why i do it i guess is back to the question is like it's not for a summer vacation and no it's uh yeah, it, I, I guess it just becomes like almost like a hobby. Like I, I don't, I don't build model trains. Uh, I don't, you know, play volleyball. I don't, um, don't have a car that I work on in my garage. I don't have, you know, that sort of thing that I do. But I guess I do this. So this is maybe my hobby. 
I thought we were doing this so you could one day have a hobby. Right. <laughs> no. But in the meantime, well, I mean, so like organized sports, for example, anything that I need to be there every Thursday at seven, like best case scenario is I can make half of them and quite likely with travel and other things I can make fewer or, you know, vacation, that sort of thing, make fewer than half. So it's hard to commit to something like that. And uh, this I can kind of do from anywhere at any time. And yeah, it makes me feel alive, Lisa. <laughs> uh, wait, should we trust the high of real estate? There you go. Maybe we trust the high of real estate. I'll tell you, okay, I'll tell you that why I'm saying trust the high. So before we record every episode, I always pull a Daniela Port Truth bomb card. Troy, now this is Troy's turn to roll his eyes. Um, but he pulled the card and it said, trust the high. And uh, he was like, I don't even know what this means. Like, it'll come up. But there'll be a way that it weaves itself into the conversation. And I feel very validated. And that's exactly it. Like, you you enjoy it. And you're having fun with it. And uh, so much so that we couldn't even have a summer vacation. I mean, I don't know that we didn't. We still were on vacation. We just happened to have to run into town one day to sign some documents. But... I would say that's one reason to do it. One, the other one is like passive income. So as the kind of snowball rolls down the hill, metaphorically speaking, it, it picks up more snow and it picks up more mass and it becomes easier to, to do these things. So um, this deal, for example, it was almost too easy. I, I don't, I don't want to you know sound conceited or anything, but it was just very... No, no, this is the part where we're trying like, not to discourage everybody, <laughs> so you're okay. It was like mechanics, right? It's like muscle memory. So the more you do things, the more that you uh, do the same task over and over, you kind of look at it and it just becomes, okay, yeah, I just have to do this, this, this. I call this guy. I call this person. I, I get that. That's done. And I've actually, I long ago, I made it a closing checklist, for example, and I Every time that I start compiling all of the, you know, purchase and sale agreement, you know, digital documents into kind of one folder, then I always inevitably pull in this checklist as I'm getting close to closing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I should pull up the checklist and make sure that I'm actually have all the stuff done that I need to do. And, and I just like, oh, yeah, done, 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 done. Okay, great. Uh, nothing really left to do on this list. So I guess that's. Again, I don't want to sound conceited, but like that's where I'm at. It gets, is, it gets easier. It gets easier. Is what I'm hearing. That's yeah. that's the message here. Is that you you get your systems, you you learn a lot along the way. You you yeah, you get best practices. You create systems. We'll have to do an episode two in the future about systems, and maybe you can share that closing checklist with everybody too. Um, but I, yeah, I think that's those are good, really good points. So like you're enjoying it, and I think that's a really big part of like just life. Like you said, having fun, it's good. Um, trusting the high of real estate. Um, you know, you've got your checklists and systems to make it easier for you. Uh, and it does get easier because you've done it. You remember, you've got the, you've got the connections, you've got those things that already kind of going, which is awesome. Um, I think too, like you haven't talked about this, but this isn't like, we're not in this for the get rich quick thing. We're looking to, to build wealth over many years and I, I'm not sure about you, but I know I'm hoping to have a little bit more freedom because of it. And it kind of feels like I was talking to a friend the other day who they are, they both have full-time jobs and they're looking to get into real estate. And she was like, and so that eventually her partner can, can stop doing the shift work that he's doing. And she was like, it's going to get harder before it gets easier. And I felt like when she said that, I was like, oh, we're in the hard like we're in the harder before it gets easier. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a relative term, I guess, hard, but there's sort of like a learning curve, right? Where it's it's hard at first and then it becomes easier. It's and then again it goes back to it's more work, right? It's not necessarily difficult to do what you do once once you understand what you're doing, right? And it's yeah, so I, I think Maybe hard's the wrong term, but for for what I'm experiencing, it's it's more just work. Okay, it's felt hard for me at times. I think <laughs> being the other person and picking up some of the other things in our life around that, but uh, I think yeah, I don't know. It feels like it it's harder now than hopefully it will be in ten years. I guess depending on depending on what it looks like. I think it's not for everybody. 
I do think it's really important to find something that's interesting. Uh, I, you and I have, even before we bought real estate, before we, before we really got into more investing, we've always been interested in it. Wherever we go anywhere, we always look at properties. We've always, like, we just have that genuine appetite for it. Um, but I know some people are interested in stocks or some people are interested in Amazon shops and other people are interested in crypto. Like, I think it is important to kind of follow that. So I don't necessarily think that real estate investing is the only strategy or the best strategy or the best investment. Um, but it definitely seems to work for us. And I think even though there is a learning curve, even though it is work, um, even though it can be really scary sometimes, all of those things, I think it's, it's really great for us to build freedom down the road. I want to ask you a question on, um, on cash flow. Because I know we target kind of that like 100 to 200 per door ish. That and that's I'm going to call it like relatively hands off once that's stabilized. Yep. Do you have any sense of what that number would be if you were more hands on, or like what that range might like? What if we also had a financial controller? Like how much? What would that look like? You know. Uh, if you're well, I don't know if you're hands. And I don't really ever look at it, but I think you, what you can do is expect 10% of your gross rents to be uh, going to property management. So uh, if your rents are $2,000 a month, well, then that's another 200 bucks a month that you would either spend to property management or keep if you're doing it yourself. And, you know, but if your building generates $10,000 a month, well, then that's $1,000 a month that's yours versus the property manager's. Um, so it's really, it's up to your rent role, I guess, and how many doors you have. And that would be my general expectation, I guess. Cool. So what is the, what's the least glamorous part do you think of real estate investing? I don't know if it's glamorous. Like I, I'm trying to think of what is really glamorous about That's my second question. Oh, <laughs> the first one was, what's the least glamorous? Well, I'm just trying to say like, put, put it into perspective. I mean, it's, it's it's work number one. I don't know how many times I'll say that, but uh, <laughs> someone go back and, and write it to searchy searchy. We'll just put the work in and he'll tell us. There you go. Um, Drop it in the show notes. I think eventually it probably will be glamorous. Oh, maybe not even glamorous. I'll call it glorious, where we won't be doing a lot because the stabilized properties take a lot less work each month, right? You're not necessarily concerned about renovations that are happening or, you know, sourcing more deals. If you're in sustainment mode versus acquisition, acquisition mode, um, you're not looking for them. You're not analyzing them. You can just shut that part out. Yeah. There's a big difference. For example, I'm thinking renovations on like our stabilized six blocks. If like our tenant moves out and we do some renovations, we think a lot less about that versus the fire rebuild where all six units are vacant and it's been a, almost two years now. And like, we're, we're relatively focused on that and following up on that because all six units, there's no income coming in on that property. So it's got a different, uh, <laughs> different, uh, urgency to it, and yes. different, different work, um, and focus required on it. Yeah. How much time, I don't know if you ever thought about this, so, you know, doesn't have to be a perfect answer, but I'm just curious how much time, Percentage-wise, would you say you spend on stabilized properties versus unstabilized properties, the ones that are still in the burr, the first couple stages of burr? Uh, like 10 to 1. 10 to 1. Okay. And then let's also now just take this because I just seem to love math today. Uh, how many of our properties are stabilized versus not stabilized? Let's do some quick math here. I would say we're probably say four wait one two I, I don't know there's there's a bit of a it depends on what you consider in the midst of a burr right like there's some that are more much more extensive uh work required and then there's some that are the rents are just low and we're just waiting for the opportunity to increase rents there might be you know five six seven thousand dollars worth of you know flooring we got to put down and, and paint it out but so it's not really that substantial of a renovation so like we have i feel like okay so there's only like three categories there's like there's like stabilized and then there's like the ones that really are time sucks that are like deep in like the, the renovations and there's some urgency and then there's the ones that are sort of in waiting would you say there's a spectrum there yeah 
Uh, I'd have to look at it. like perfect. It, okay, I'm just going to say like, number like 30%, 30%, 30%. Uh, yeah, I'd say we're we're over half or probably... Stabilized? Stabilized. So or six or seven close are Close to, yeah. Okay, so six-ish are... Okay, so half the portfolio takes up 90% of the time. Yeah. Just like, I think that's an interesting... I don't think we've ever kind of reflected on that or thought about that but that that gives a little bit of an understanding as well in terms of like what you're getting into right would you say yeah yeah okay so people who are listening to this can take some comfort in knowing that and i think that's what i mean about when i say like i feel like we're in the hard like 90 percent of the time is those that stabilization but i think we're also planning to also have a couple, three, four projects on the go at all times for the foreseeable future, right? And totally. But foreseeable future doesn't mean forever and ever, right? No. But then you get to the point where the... We are going <laughs> to... Hold on. Hold on. I feel like I need to get some sort of a commitment from you that there's going to be some sort of a break one point. Yes. But then you still have like the existing properties that have, you know... Totally. ...crept up on you that you still have to One maintain, hour right? to, compared to... To nine is, I guess, the point. Yeah. And that's where we're trying to get to. Yes. Would you say that's the, you said glorious part of it? Is that like looking ahead to that future? Yeah, that's, that's, I think, what we're all striving for. However, it's to, to get there is not, and I, I guess if you're sitting on a whack of money and you want to just put 25% down on a bunch of kind of stabilized properties and, and just buy them, even the acquisition part and the sourcing of them, you know, is probably a little bit easier. Um, but you're, you know, you're, you're not necessarily then getting any cash flow if, if some, maybe, I don't know. So what you're saying is that Ferraris and timeless vacations don't come without a lot of work and probably years of it. And if you have all that money, just go buy your Ferrari now. You don't need to (laughs) buy a bunch of properties. So true. So true. It makes me think of the, uh, makes me think of the old, um, parable. There's a story of like a, um, a businessman that goes on vacation and he sees a fisherman on, um, on the beach every day and. He says to the guy, like, oh, it's so amazing. Like, look at you. You know, you're, you're here every day and you're fishing uh, in the morning. And then he's off at like three o'clock and he's barbecuing his fish on the beach and he's having lunch or, the, or dinner with his wife on the beach and enjoying the sunset. And the guy's like, oh, man, like, that's so nice. Like, what a lovely life. And uh, but he goes up to the fisherman and he's like, oh, you know, you could you could why don't you buy three boats? And why don't you then you could hire people for all your boats? And the fisherman's kind of like, yeah, like then what would I do? And he's like, well, then you could maybe open up a different location. The fisherman's like, okay, well, like, then what? And the, the businessman is like, okay, well, then you could also, you know, package these for sale and you could sell them around the world and you can make even more money. And the fisherman is like, well, then what? And he's like, well, then you could be on your boat all day and fish and you could, you know, have sunset on the beach and cook your, fi- cook your fish and have dinner with your wife every night. And the whole point of the story is, you know, if you could already just live your dream life now, why would you put in all that work to just to buy yourself the freedom later? Yeah. Buy your Ferrari now, I think is what you're telling me. <laughs> I'm more meant you have two weeks off now. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, devil's advocate there. Like, why don't you just take your two weeks now and have that freedom? I think it, it goes back to like, how hard is your job for how, what you're compensated for, right? Similar to this, like when I was supposed to be on vacation and, and bought a property because it's easy enough to do, uh, it's just work. And I think my job, I've sort of reached a point in my career where I, I enjoy what I do. I like working with the people that I work with and I make good, good money at it. And um, it's, I don't know, just some, it's just work, right? So and it's challenging and it's different every day or can be different every day. And, um, I don't, I don't know what I, I would be doing if I was not doing that job. Like, I don't, well, probably real estate, but I'm like, you're definitely your real estate hobby for sure. For sure. But I don't know if my real estate hobby quite pays me as well just yet, but, uh, I guess that's the, that's the goal Then I can have two weeks on at real estate and two weeks off at home. <laughs> you, you kill me, you kill me. 
Uh, okay, other devil's advocate question. Why don't you just buy the Ferrari now? I think that maintaining a Ferrari is quite expensive. I mean, think it is very expensive. Uh, I mean, it's all relative, I guess, how much money you have and uh, how much you want to spend on Ferrari maintenance. But uh, yeah, I, I would say to to have it and to maintain it and insure it is quite expensive. And I don't know if I'm uh, to the point where I want that or would afford could afford that. Hmm. Okay. So I'm hearing there's not a Ferrari that's going to surprise me. No. Maybe one Just day. Just buildings. Maybe one day. Just buildings for now, hey? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so before you go, I we there's so much out there. We get a lot of amazing feedback and questions. Um, and things are shifting a lot right now with interest rates going up and markets changing a, a lot. Um, and we're obviously still actively investing. Um, what are a couple things, you know, knowing that things are... I feel like I, how many times can we say uncertain and unpredictable and in, but they really are. Um, and also knowing everything we've just talked about here in terms of like why we still love investing, the fact that it still work. What are three tips that you think are really important to keep in mind for anyone who is, wants to be successful in real estate right now and, and moving forward? I would say know how to underrate a deal. What does that mean? Uh, make sure that you understand the income and expenses associated with the property. So how to analyze it. How to analyze it uh, and make sure you're including uh, maintenance, management, and vacancy because even if you're not considering these, your financing institution likely will. Interest rates, I think that's one that needs to be considered very deeply. Um, I don't know where interest rates are going to go. I'm not an economist by any means. Uh, so make sure you're stress testing yourself, right? I, I think that for residential rates, the the mortgage broker or the lender will do that for you. I think they add a couple percent to whatever today's rate is. Make sure you can still afford that so that in five years when you go to renew that you're not, you know, unable to afford your payments. But I don't know that commercial lenders do that for you. So, you know, when we are looking out, you know, two, three years into the future, even, um, you know, before all of these rate hikes, I want to say I was underwriting at like five and a half or 6% for a future refinance. So to give you perspective today, I think we're at about six and a half to 7% for commercial rates. And on top of that, rents have gone up uh, quite a bit. So I think it's it's conservatively underwriting your deal and factoring in maintenance management vacancy and potential fewer or sorry, higher interest rates. So that's like several extra percentages, seeing if the deal still makes sense of that. Yeah. Like I said, the one we bought in August, I think I pushed it up to 10 because I was looking for a reason not to buy this. I almost feel like (laughs) you're almost literally doubling the interest rate because back then it would have been around five. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you're at least doubling it to see how, what it will do. Yeah. I don't know if, yeah, I don't know if you need to double it. That's pretty extreme. I think, like I said, I was just kind of looking for a reason not to buy it, but yeah, I, I would, I would say a couple points for sure. If not, if not more, uh, property taxes, property taxes. That's a big one. Um, I think people overlook where if you purchase a property that has a very low assessment on it and the, let's say you're buying a property for $500,000, we'll say, and it's currently assessed at like $200,000. I mean, you can add a zero to both of those to, you know, play with whatever scale you want to play with. But for easy numbers, let's do, let's use that. Um, consider that the taxing authority that you're buying in is likely going to reassess your property once a sale has happened that is has such a disparity between the assessed value and the actual market value. Um, so you'll probably see a property tax rate hike and it could be significant. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of investors. Actually, we invest in New Brunswick, as most of you probably know. And uh, at October, I think third yesterday was uh, they re- released all the assessment values for uh, 2023. 
not the actual tax values, but the actual building assessment values. And I think people are collectively losing their minds because <laughs> some of them have gone up substantially, uh, you know, considering they purchased a build, like exactly what I just described, right? Purchased a building for a lot more than it was assessed at and it was reassessed at 450000 and. Your taxes go from 5000 to 9000 Yeah. Or again, add some zeros on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a big difference. Okay, so that's number one. Make sure you're underwriting your deals. Oh, I feel like all-inclusively, you're analyzing all these all these pieces. Number two, what else would you say to be successful, to really keep in mind to be successful right now? Uh, building systems. I think we, we talked a little bit about what we do and some of that is you know programs and then some of that is we'll call them procedures or checklists so that you don't have to think about it and you don't forget about it um i also like using asana which kind of all the running tasks i can just set the due dates out in the future and then that prompts me to check up on things you know a week or a month or whenever i need to same with you know insurance renewals that are a year out that you might want to consider getting another quote so you can set that for 10 or 11 months in advance things like that that it takes kind of the mental day-to-day of trying to remember everything off of you and then you can just work with whatever is actually assigned to you at that time so i think that's helpful and quickbooks and quickbooks yeah you love it okay we'll do another episode i think all about systems and maybe share some of your checklists what's the third thing you would say uh work this is uh prepare for some work right like roll up your sleeves it's it's not that hard i i, I don't know i maybe shouldn't say that it's initially it might be hard and there's a big learning curve and but you can you know pay for mentorship programs to to gain that experience or that knowledge rather and then uh, you get the experience kind of as you do it so uh, and prepare to to work what do you feel like you've given up do you feel like you've given up anything because like you don't you know do sports you're you're not taking summers off you're not you're hardly even getting your days off so like do you feel like you're sacrificing not really i think that i well i've never done organized sports my entire well after childhood i guess i you know my adult life i've been working shift work so it's i've never really experienced that and that i miss it okay maybe not organized sports but like you know there's other things you probably could be doing fun that you could be having or you know beach days or lounging or netflix shows to catch up on hanging out with friends like do you feel like you're missing out on those things we still go to the beach like well we got a four-year-old so we go to the beach as much as as much as we can to entertain her but yeah i don't know i I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. Like I can still, I can still take off whatever time I want. Right. I can choose to, and the summer we did, I know that you say we didn't, but we did, you know, we'll call it disconnect a bit from real estate. And I wasn't working that much and I did take time off. And sometimes like when I'm home for two weeks, I'll just, I'll only work from maybe nine till 11 or nine till noon every day or, or not at all if I want to go do something. So I, I think it becomes flexible in, in when you want to work. And I do, I would say I usually try and load myself up more so in the wintertime when it's, you know, cold and raining here in Vancouver and then take more time off in the summer, despite Lisa saying otherwise. I just got to tease you. I know we did. We, we have actually, figured out some more balance. Um, and I, I'm mostly, I'm mostly bugging you. I am glad though that I got away to Europe because I, that was definitely, that was the disconnect on you. I feel like I need to be on another continent. Otherwise you still show up with deals and thank God. <laughs> uh, all right, babe. Uh, any last thoughts you want to share? No, I don't think so. Thank you so much for being here and doing this episode. Um, before we go, let's quickly, let's do a shameless plug here about our networking events. Uh, we just did one last week with Marinella Nicolosi. 
It's amazing. All about private lending. Um, oh, I mean, that's actually probably a good segue too, just to mention that there are ways to invest passively in real estate. Uh, episode 71 of Golden Girls podcast is with Marnella Nicolosi. So go listen to that. Uh, those are also joint ventures and REITs and other things. So we'll probably do a future episode diving in a little bit more on those things. Um, but definitely go, go listen to episode 71. We also did have Marinella at one of our networking events and it was fantastic. Um, and we just find that like real estate, like you said, like a lot of the value that we've been able to create has come from our network. And so we wanted to bring people together and start connecting the great people that we know. Uh, so we've been hosting events both virtually and in person in Vancouver. If you're interested, I'll put the link to our Facebook group below and our email list. So you can find out more about events. We don't spam at all. Like I actually secret here, not so secret. I hate sending emails. Uh, I, like I just don't do it. Um, but we do send you an email, let you know that there's an invite, let you know that we're hosting an event and, um, that way we can stay in touch. Uh, and we have guest speakers. We do hot seats or friendly seats, if you will, uh, breakout groups. And it's just an amazing way to get inspired and connect with other investors and create those partnerships to help you grow your business and portfolio. So we'd love for you to join in. Uh, thanks for being here, Troy. I always get a barrage of comments afterwards saying how much people love having you here. It's always fun for me. So thanks, babe. You're welcome. Don't worry. I'll have you back for many, many more. I'm sure you will. <laughs> have a great day, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being here. Feel free to share this episode. That helps us reach more people. If you've got a colleague, a friend, a fellow investor, a family member, neighbor who you think needs to hear this, we would love for you to share it with them. Uh, and if you've got a minute, make sure you go ahead and leave us a review as well so that we can reach more people. Thank you for being here. Hope you have a wonderful day. And uh, I feel like I need to sign this off with the Britney Spears work bitch song because all we did was talk about work. <laughs> Have fun. Please don't do that. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If something spoke to you, send me a message by sharing this episode and tagging me on social media. If you know someone who would love to hear this episode, please share it with them too. Because I love surprises, make sure you subscribe to the Golden Girls podcast today. It's the only way to find out about bonus surprise episodes and make sure you don't miss a single beat on your golden journey. Thanks again for listening and I will talk to you in the next episode of the Golden Girls Podcast.